Let's pray. We're gonna get into a very familiar passage. I'll give you some context uh, because the point of the story isn't necessarily the one that we, we, we always think about. There's something, there's something more that John is saying and Jesus is communicating than the miracle itself. The miracle is phenomenal, and I mean that in a literal sense. It's phenomenal, but there's more, and I love the Gospel of John because there's always more. Let's pray that God give us ears to hear. Lord, this is your message for us, not mine for them. So stand in my feet. Think with my brain. Speak with my mouth. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear and hearts to receive it. And Lord, if there's something I plan to say that's not yours, I don't want to say it. You know that. Convict me of it, but don't let me speak something that's not true to your people. But if there is something that you want said that I haven't thought of, Make it clear that it's from you, and I will speak it to your people. Join us, Lord. Be glorified in this and minister to your people. In Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God, our Father. Amen. Now, a little bit of context here. There's some, thing, there's some things that, uh, that, that you may not know. Middle Eastern culture grieves differently than we do. They always have, and they still do. Uh, we, we try to be dignified in our grief. So if I lost someone that I care about and people come to the visitation, or if you're from a Catholic background, awake, then um, people say, I'm sorry for your loss, or that must be really hard. And, and you, we always, I mean, we'll, we'll say about the widow or the widower, we'll come, man, they were so strong. They just did so good. And because we, we're gonna be, we're gonna kind of hold it. And when people say awful things at a, at a visitation like Jesus must have loved him more than you, you just take those shots. You know, we, we, we grin and bear it. And, we, we, and if we're gonna have a moment where we lose it, I mean, really lose it, like fluids coming out of your nose and the whole deal, you, you step aside. There's a room at every funeral home and there's a room here at church that people can kind of step into and have their private moment of grief. That is not how people grieved then and it is not how people grieve there now. It is out loud in front of everyone. They, uh, the Jews today still have a thing called sitting shiva, and it's seven days, uh, the day the person dies or the day they, they, they bury them, and then they cover every reflective surface in the home so that, and you don't wear makeup, and you're not, you, 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 don't, you don't care about how you look. You just grieve. And if you watch Middle Eastern funerals now when people are walking down the road and there's people out, it's, it's like the opposite of what you see in New Orleans when they're, they got a trombone playing in the street and they got a horse carriage coming and people are kind of dancing. It's the exact opposite in the Middle East. They wail and scream out loud in front of everybody. That's the picture that I want you to have when you hear about Lazarus and his death. Um, people, when it says that Martha and Mary were weeping and the people that were there to mourn with them came with Mary to meet Jesus and, and they're weeping. And then you hear Jesus wept. It's a beautiful passage. But the words used for Mary and Martha and the other people weeping and the Jesus weeping and that said, when it says that, that it, he was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit, um, it, it's different for him than it is for them. And, and I'll explain that when we get there, but there is something glorious here, and, and I don't want you to miss it. The other thing to, 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 to recognize is that where Jesus is and where Lazarus died, it's about a day's journey, and I'll explain why that's important in a little while. You'll probably pick up on it getting in here. The other thing is, is John, the, the author of the gospel according to John, he refers to himself never by name, but he talks about himself as the one Jesus loves. And I've always kind of joked about that, like, yeah, right, right. 
Jesus loves me more than Peter and Jesus loves me. And, and, and I don't think that it's been fair of me to, to joke about that. I mean, when they run off to the tomb together and one beats the other one, it's like, yeah, I can outrun my buddy. Um, but what if, what if we saw ourselves as so loved by God that we actually made that our identity? John is the one Jesus loves. And so are you. What if I would introduce myself and I would go up to Tim and I'd say, Tim, hey, I'm Trent. I'm the one Jesus loves. I'm the one Jesus loves. I am, I'm beloved of God. What if we had that identity, that sense of intimacy with God, that every one of us identified ourselves as the one Jesus loves? You will see it in this passage. You will, you will hear about Lazarus. They don't even say his name. They say the one that you love is sick. So I want you to hear the intimacy, and then you'll understand even better, not the miracle. The miracle is the miracle, and we will talk about that. But you will understand even better what's going on inside of Jesus and why he's not just upset that his friend has died. And he is a dear friend. In fact, they, whenever he came to Jerusalem, he would go up to Bethany at night and stay. He either stayed in Martha's house, Mary's house, and they may have lived together, but they're most likely married and have separate houses, or his, their brother Lazarus's house. They are close friends. Think about it. If you were in a, in a, in a city that isn't here, so let's say you, you in Kansas City, Missouri, and you have friends there, there's, you know how close they are, by whether you call them and say, we're gonna be in town, can we stay at your place? Right? They're the people that would be upset if they found out that you were staying in a hotel. Like they'd be insulted because you're that close. That's how close Jesus is with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It reads like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He loved and he stayed. Now, I've got a few friends that I love enough that if they say, I'm sick, I'm hurting, I need to talk, can you come to me? I will drop everything and come. In fact, one of them came over last night. Um, he, middle of the week, and he goes, I know it's a, it's a Saturday before you preach. I know the time change. I got a couple of hours wondering if we can hang out. And if he would have stayed till midnight or two or three in the morning, He's that good, of a, that good of a friend. So if, if I love him and he's in trouble, I don't wait. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about Jesus, but the point isn't only that he loves Lazarus. It's that he wants us to know how much he loves us. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. I know I'm reading it a second time. It's for a reason. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, we're gonna find out in a moment that Jesus knew that Lazarus was already dead even when he just found out that he was sick. He said to the disciples after all this, after the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But, 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 but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. So that what he's saying is, let's go back to, 
enemy territory. Uh, stone you, and yet you're gonna go back there? And Jesus answered, and this is a little vague. We'll get into this maybe in four years when we get back to John. It's not the point of the story, but it's a little vague what he's saying here. But are, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went, uh, uh, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, again, they're a little afraid about where they might be going. Uh, Lord, if he sleeps, then he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he, was, he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let's go also that we may die with him. And it's unclear here. And this is just a little side note that preachers like to tell you. It's not all that important, but, but, but we don't know here if he's saying let's go too so that we can die like Lazarus or because they're afraid that they're going to stone Jesus. Uh, let's go too so that you know, when they kill Jesus, they kill us. Or if he's kind of being starstruck, fine, we'll go and we'll die. I don't know. Um, but Thomas gets a lot of grief in the church because he's doubting Thomas, right? He's, he's the one, he was out of fellowship. That's one of the reasons he didn't believe, but he was out of fellowship when Jesus showed up to the other disciples. Um, but they told him that he's risen I'll only if I, until I put my finger in his side that I'm not gonna believe. Jesus shows up and he goes, okay, here, go, go. He never touches him, but Thomas falls to his knees and he's the first one to confess Jesus, my Lord and my God. I think Thomas has more guts than we give him credit for. I don't think Thomas is just a doubter. He walked for three years with Jesus. I think Thomas here, and this is just opinion. I wanna make sure I'm always clarifying that. If I'm giving you my opinion, I'm not speaking on behalf of the Lord here, but I think Thomas was saying, all right, if it's time, it's time, but you're not going alone. They gotta come through me before I get to you. I hope that that's the courage of Thomas. I'm sure that if I'm wrong, he'll correct me when I get it. No, I was scared to death. I have no idea. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This is how I know. I know that where they are, it's about a day's walk, about six to 12 hours, depending on how many people, depending on how often you stop, depending on how, how long the lunch breaks are, that kind of thing. Um, but it's a day's journey is how it's known. Um, so, he waited two days and it took him a day to get there. And Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So when they sent message, Lord, your friend is sick. The one you love is sick. About the time they left to go tell Jesus, he died. And in that culture, they put someone in the tomb, in the grave, the day they die, preferably before sunset. So when word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead and he waited two more days and then he took a day's journey. And when he shows up, he finds out that Lazarus, that everyone finds out that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. That is significant. We'll get to that in a second. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in, their, in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, we know that Martha is the oldest. She's always kind of in charge of everything and she, as the hostess, 
and the patriarch or the, the matriarch of the family, she goes to greet. Mary stays with the other mourners because someone needs to be in, in the home or in the family residence there. Um, uh, when, uh, but Mary stayed, Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection and, at, and the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yeah, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here and he's asking about you. He's asking for you. When, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Uh, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing that she was gonna go to the tomb and mourn there. Again, out loud in front of everybody. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is crucial. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now, I know there's only, if, there's only two ifs, but that third one is kind of an if. It's like, Lord, if you would have been here, you could have done something. Lord, if you would have been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. And if he can do this, if he would have been here on time, he could have taken care of this. There's a lot of ifs going on. There's a lot of doubt going on. And I want you to notice that when Jesus says that he will rise again, do you believe this? Well, yeah, yeah, on the last day and in the resurrection on the last day. And he goes, no, 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 I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. We miss this. There's a song I sing it in Young Life Club. I've, I've, I don't know how many times. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. I, it's so ingrained in my head that I never think about the fact that Jesus, it's not just that we will be resurrected. It's not just through the power of the Holy Spirit. Death will not hold us down. We will be resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection. So if you're in the presence of, if, you, if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you are already alive in Christ. It's not something you're gonna have one day. It's who you are now. You are much loved by God and you have the resurrection living in you, the life of God, the one who makes life, the one who makes you breathe. Every day the word of God goes out and he says, breathe. He says, awaken. He says, live. And you live. It's by his very word, by his, the life of God, he giving that to you that makes you exist. It is so much more here than, yeah, I'm the, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. So he who believes in me will not perish, but have ever. Okay. He's saying to Mary and he's saying to Martha and he's saying to all the Jews around there, I have authority over death. Now, we've seen him with authority over nature in the storm when he walks on the water. We've seen him with authority over provision when he feeds a bunch of people, 5,000 men, and then all of their wives and children with some kid's sack lunch. We've seen, we've seen miracle. We've seen water, water into wine. We've seen amazing things. Six, seven different miracles in the gospel according to John. 
but he's claimed authority over certain things. Now he's claiming authority over death and life, and the Jews are going to kill him for it. They've been plotting, but not like this. It goes, out, it goes on like this. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. But Lord, Martha, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you've always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. I'm not going to be as loud as I think he was. Lazarus, come out. And, the, and I say it that way for a reason. When the death, or when the dead man, or then the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Glorious, glorious miracle. But some things that you might not know, when it says that he's deeply moved and troubled in his spirit, when it says that he wept, it's not the kind of weeping that Mary and Martha were doing. Those words there, it's not, we, we hear moved with compassion. We hear that, that Jesus was deeply moved and, you know, with the leper and, and, you know, filled with compassion. That's not the same. This is outrage. This is anger. This is frustration. Jesus, when he says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And when he calls a dead man from the grave, someone who's dead, dead. That's Pastor Kurt's quote from four years ago when he preached on this passage. He's all the way dead. He's not mostly dead like in The Princess Bride. He's dead, dead. They had a belief that, that, that after three, that, that a soul, when someone died, a soul would hang around for about three days hoping to re-enter the body. And you might think of that, that's kind of superstitious and silly, but I see it all the time. Even in my own family, uh, my, one of my sisters-in-law, her, her dad passed away, and, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't begrudge anyone for this, but we do this all the time. Um, her, dad, her dad passed away. It was way up in, in Glen Arbor or something like, I don't know if that's where it was, but it was way up north. Beautiful area. But we, he was cremated. We put him in the ground, and we went back to the cottage that he had kind of built, and, and, uh, and we were grieving together. And, and a, his favorite color was yellow, and a yellow butterfly came and sat on the, on the deck. Oh, he's here. No, he's not. It's a butterfly. And that butterfly will be dead in three weeks because it's a butterfly. I didn't say that, but theologically speaking, that's not her dad. We do it. Oh, you hear athletes like, oh, my dad died a few years ago, and I just, I just know he's looking down on me. Folks, if I'm in heaven and I'm concerned about what's happening here, it's not heaven. I mean, we're going to be glued to Jesus. And again, I'm not, I get it. I do, I understand why we do it. And, and you wanna be comforted by the fact that, that they know you miss them. You want, you, you want God to know how hard it is that you've lost someone. It's all fine, but they had, we have those kind of ideas. We have those, those theologies that aren't biblical. They had them too. And so because they believed that a soul would wait around for three days, Jesus heard, it took him a day, he's already dead. Jesus waited two, takes him a day to get there. He's dead, dead. No one will doubt. No one will. Th you ever hear the term saved by the bell? Do you know where that comes from? 
People used to die and they put them in a box and they put them in the ground. They put a string up and there'd be a little stick with a bell hanging off. In case they buried someone alive and they woke up, they would ring the bell and someone would come and rescue them. Same idea here. It's, that's part of our culture. It's part of theirs. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them for it. I just want you to know that Jesus waited two days and traveled a full day to make sure that no one could doubt that this man was dead, dead. But when it says that Jesus was moved and angry, that's what it says. He's, it's, there's anguish, frustration, and outrage. And he weeps. He's not weeping because Lazarus is dead. Because he knows what he's going to do. He knew it before he found out that Lazarus was dead. He's outraged and he's, and he's tormented by the fact that death rules humankind. That the world ever got to this kind of a place where we are terrified by and ruled by the end, which is the enemy of humanity we call death. He's answering the serpent's question in the garden. Or the statement, oh no, we can't eat it, this one in the center because then we'll die and, 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 and we can't even touch it. And he goes, oh, come on, you're not gonna die. He just doesn't want you, the great one, he calls him. He doesn't call him the good one. He calls him the great one, doesn't want you to be like him. Do you know that there was no death on the planet Earth until the enemy of God told the people of God that, they're, that you won't die? And when they took that, death entered the world. And Jesus came to take away the power and the sting of death. Why is he weeping? Why is he moved and troubled? He's outraged that humanity has to suffer at the reign, suffer under the rule and the reign and the, the Lord we call death. He wants it gone. And so when he says, I am the resurrection, I'm the life, it's, it's God saying, no more, no more. You do not get to take my people and destroy their hope anymore. And you're the one God loves. You're the one that Jesus resurrects. You're the one that he gives life to. You are much loved of God. That is who you are. You are whose you are. So why do we go, if you're good, Lord, then why? If you're real, Lord, then why? If you love me, fix me. If, if, if. We all do it. And it is absolutely natural because we're born with fear. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of pain. We're afraid of suffering. We're afraid of trouble. So why is it that Jesus says, in this world, there will be trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You're afraid of death. I'm the resurrection. I am life. If you believe in me, you, even though you die, you will not stay dead. Why do we doubt? And we all do. Look at our world. We're afraid. In fact, the enemy of God, through his minions, sell fear to us. Advertisers pay more money to shows and, 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 and channels that make us more afraid than we were yesterday. I'm not coming down on you if you're afraid of getting this COVID-19. I'm not. I used to kind of pishaw the whole idea. People go, I got, I got the flu. First, I thought I was going to die, and then I was afraid I wouldn't. I was like, come on, you're sick. And then I got the flu. <laughs> 
First, I thought I was gonna die, and then Lord, take me. It's awful. So I'm not coming down on that, but you know what? In 2009, I was on my way, I was on sabbatical, I was on my way down to Georgia, and I was I listened to talk radio, um, and someone came onto a local channel. I, I knew I was in the South, because someone called up and said, I, I think I got the pig sickness. Swine flu. Bird flu, avian flu, SARS, a different strain of the flu, doesn't matter. There have been hundreds and thousands of epidemics. There have been horrible, terrible things, and there will be more. There will be another election that is the most important election of our lifetime. And what we think of this person, this person, this person, we forget that God is sovereign. We forget that Jesus is Lord. We forget that we need not fear that he's told us 365 times in his scripture, one for every day of every year. He says, fear not, do not be afraid because there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing. You're invincible unless God wills it. So why do we always say, if Lord, if Lord, if Lord, or what if, what if, what if? Because we have a natural tendency to be afraid of our enemy, which is death and pain and suffering. And Jesus says, there will be pain and there will be suffering. But you're mine. And I love, you know, the Heidelberg Catechism Question and answer number one, it says this. At the end of it. For God, the Father looks over me in such a way that not one hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. And most of us could give two squeaks about whether a hair falls off of our head. But if God is concerned about whether you lose one hair and his will you, cannot lose, you can't pull a hair out without his will allowing it. If, if he's that concerned about a hair, do you not think that he's concerned about your pain? Do you think he's not concerned about your fear? Do you think he doesn't want to give hope in the midst of your desperate plea for help? Of course he does. Because you're the one he loves. There's not one thing that will ever happen to you that he doesn't allow. And there are some times that he allows difficult things to happen to us that we don't like. But I can promise you two things. One, if you had all the information at your disposal that God does, you would allow the same things in your life that he does but we don't have it because his ways are greater than our ways. Imagine Lazarus. You think that Lazarus, he, I'm sure he was thrilled when he came out and he had the toilet paper wrapped all around him or whatever, you know, the, and, the, and, the, and, and he walked out and he had to take off his grave clothes and let him go. I'm sure he was like, oh, Jesus, thank you. And he's like, you let me die? I don't know why it happened. Actually, Jesus tells us so that God would be glorified through his son. I don't know why there might be suffering in your life. I don't know why some people are getting sick. I don't. But I do know this, that he numbered your days before you were conceived and you cannot die before the day that he calls you home. You cannot die without the will of your father in heaven and you are much loved by him. So fear not. Be not afraid. And I'm not saying stop it. 
But I'm saying when you hear yourself internally go, if you are good, if you are real, if you love me, I want to tell you that every time his answer to the if questions that we ask him will be trust me. Trust me. If, trust. If, trust. If, trust me. Because I love you. I've overcome the world and I am the resurrection. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am. Before Abraham and Isaac were, I am. He's God And the God of the universe came to love you and to take away your fear so that death no longer has reign over us. God does. Death doesn't win. God does. And if you're in him, there's nothing to be afraid of because nothing can happen to you and nothing can happen to someone you love that God doesn't allow. Take heart, says Jesus, because I've overcome the world. He snubbed Satan's nose. He rubbed his nose in it when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. No more. We have nothing to be afraid of. Let's pray. Lord, when we ask if you're real, remind us to trust. When we ask if you're good, remind us to trust. Lord, give us courage and give us discernment so that we can see when someone's just trying to make us afraid and remind us that we have nothing to fear because we are loved by you personally for the one you love and you have power over death and everything in between, from life to death to everlasting life. We bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, please don't leave here thinking that your preacher is telling you, go out and lick doorknobs. Okay, I don't, we're not supposed to be stupid. I will, when I leave here after shaking all, uh, so many hands, I'm going to put that stuff all over my hands. Wash your hands for two minutes. Do all the stuff you're supposed to do. There's no reason to ask to get sick. But imagine being a person who has no hope. Then you're terrified because it all depends on what you do or do not do and who you're in contact with and who you're not. But as people with hope, people who know that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father in heaven, we know that we need not fear. Imagine the witness we can have by just trusting God. God and not panicking like people who have no hope. So let us be a people, courageous, not stupid, but let us be a people who bring peace and calm amidst chaos and fear. Because that's what God does. When he shows up, he calms the water. People are starving, he feeds them. When people are sick, he heals them. And when people are dead, he raises them from the dead so that he shows that nothing has power over God and God gives his power over us. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. And he does. 
The Lord turn his countenance toward you, smile at you, and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.